Welcome to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. I'm your host, Wyndham Lewis. Today, we're talking to Jake Brennan, the host of Disgraceland. You can learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Now let's talk to Jake Brennan, creator and host of one of America's hottest podcasts, Disgraceland. If you love true crime and rock and roll, you're going to love Disgraceland. It's me flying solo today, Wyndham Lewis, with uh, Jake Brennan, the host of Disgraceland. Hey, man. Hey, thanks for coming by. Um, Disgraceland is, if you're not uh, aware of it already, um, they released one episode on Apple iTunes and became a top ten podcast in the nation off the strength of one. They're on episode three now. It is the perfect confluence of true crime and rock and roll, and... Um, I was just, you know, really marveling at the uh, genius of combining these two things. So, uh, Jake, tell us how you got into where the idea came from. Um, I had had my first kid, uh, and I reread Please Kill Me by Legs McNeil um, with, like, a, a, a two-week-old on my chest. And for those who don't know the book... Aloud, I hope. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, for those who don't know the book, it's an oral history of the early days of punk rock. And it details a bunch of my heroes, like Lou Reed and Iggy Pop and New York Dolls, Johnny Thunders, Ramones, Clash, everyone. And one of the things that struck me upon reading it again was, these guys are not good guys. <laughs> they make great music, but... I wouldn't let them be alone with my kid. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so there's sort of that, that kind of started, like, how do I reconcile those two things? Because I love their music, and that's never going to change. Uh, and I just sort of, like, knew all these kind of being a musician and growing up in the music industry and sort of, like, being a fan of history and true crime. Like, I kind of had, didn't realize it, but I'd stockpiled all these stories. Like, I read that Jerry Lee Lewis thing in Rolling Stone, in like a Rolling Stone anthology when I was like 15 years old and I remember like beating my head against the wall and being like how is this possible man? Because, how, yeah, how do you get away with this two for five <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah exactly um, and it, it just sort of it struck me as a, as a really sort of fertile terrain to, to navigate this idea of like just reconciling the behavior of these rock stars that we love with our love for their music and how do we deal with that and when I got the idea that I wanted to do something creative again, I, I didn't want to be in a band, but I knew I wanted to do something musical. Um, and I honed in on, okay, I'm going to explore this podcast thing. And this was the terrain that I ended up at. I, I remember asking, I was sort of on the outs with my, my, my second real job of my life. I was working at an ad agency as a, as a creative director, uh, focused on music. And I, I knew I was going to leave, and I asked my wife and one of my best friends, who's a, uh, my creative partner, you know, what would they hire me to do if they could hire me to do one job? And my wife said I'd hire you to tell stories, which I don't think I'm, I like the storytelling 
title sounds a little too precious to me. Yeah. Like, I come from... It sounds like Jake Brennan folklorist. Yes, exactly. Like, I come from a a long line of bullshitters. (laughs) Like, my grandfather telling stories with a beer in his hand while we're at a barbecue, like, that sort of thing. And and Adam, my other friend who I asked, uh, he said, you know, I just... I'd hire you to just sit in a vocal booth and, and talk. He's like, you've talked me into some of the craziest shit. Like, I actually, I had a, a, a demo deal with Island Records where we were recording with Paul Coldery mm-hmm. doing this this very serious thing, you know? It's like to get another record deal. And I talked to Adam, who was the engineer in that project. I talked to him, and I was like, well, while we're doing the demo, let's do an entirely different record at the same time at night. <laughs> I was super into Nebraska by Springsteen at the time. I was like, I want to do a whole record through an Echoplex. He's like, but we're already doing this demo. I was like, I don't, we'll do both, man. We'll do both. So I think he was like, okay, yeah. But most of these ideas that you're talking about on the podcast, on Disgraceland, uh, these are more impetuous decision-making, or this is more uh, impetuous decision-making. This is a little less of the let's try something and see if it works. It's more of a this happened, what the fuck do we do now? Uh, and thus far, if you, again, if you haven't caught up with it, uh, the first three episodes are about Jerry Lee Lewis, Sid Vicious, and Sam Cooke. Mm-hmm. Um, all are um, unsolved, or not uh, unsolved murders, but all entail murder. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, all are, uh, have sort of, dubious elements to them. So what brought you to those three first? Or, Well, I didn't write them in that order. I wrote the Jerry Lee Lewis one first. Um, that took me six months to actually write and produce. And, and then the rest... I mean, this is high praise, but it, it, it absolutely feels that way. Thank you. Thank you. The rest are all... I, I figured it out. Now I can do them in two weeks. But that, that And I've got 12 done. Um, I've got the entire first season done. I put those three stacked up at the top because... I was releasing it on Valentine's Day and I wanted to do this cheeky like love kills theme mm-hmm. and they're all they all involve murder around um, loves of their lives or some sort of love Sam Cooke wasn't the love of his life so that's sort of where that came no, from no his was the love of the evening love but, of the evening yeah um, but sometimes it turned pretty bleak um, so what are some of the other if you I mean can you preview some of the other sure. ones that are coming because I know the next one uh, is about Norwegian death metal black and metal black metal sorry they get, they get really they get really pissed about that you gotta get it right yeah <laughs> no, and then yeah, I, um, I I'm sure I'm watching a uh, a Netflix Norwegian uh, detective series that somehow ties in at this point. But um, I am fascinated by that subject. Oh, cool. uh, but this is not going to be as personal a story. I don't imagine what it kind of is in, in a way um, because there were two heads of the Norwegian black metal scene, like two figureheads, mm-hmm. and that scene was all about being as rebellious as possible. And, and to them, rebellion meant it had to be, you had to be purely evil. Darker and yeah. darker. The black metal guys looked at death metal as posers. They weren't evil enough. They were, that was commercial to them. Mm-hmm. So in order to be truly evil, you had to do shit like burn churches. And when your bandmate kills himself in your living room, the first thing you do, you don't call the cops. You go buy a camera so you can take a picture of it and use it on your album cover. <laughs> Forgive my ignorance. This is go- not Gogoroth. This is Mayhem. This Mayhem. is for Gogoroth. Um, and then there's there's a rivalry that happened between uh, Euronymous, one of the members of Mayhem, and uh, Varg Vikernes, who was uh, one of the members of Burzum. They were kind of the leading bands in the scene, and their relationship culminates to disastrous effect. And so it is kind of personal in, in 
And, and you know, like I said, the uh, the first three were all sort of predicated on misconceptions. This one's a pretty. Mm. This is a. Uh, I mean, this case was solved. They know who's there. Yeah. Pe- these people are are in prison doing mm-hmm. time. Is mm-hmm. there? They're out. Well, they they are out. The uh, Norwegian prison system is yes, uh, it's fucked up. And uh, but they aren't allowed to tour at the moment. I know. Um, but what? So what? Uh, beyond that, are there? Are these largely going to be uh, tilted towards unsolved or not really unsolved? And I want to do. Um, I don't want to stray away from well-known artists, right? Like the net, the one I'm writing now and research, researching now is John Lennon, mm-hmm. but in his death, and obviously we all know how he died. So I'm interested in what what's the thing in that story that we that we we don't think about that we're not talking about, even though it's a well known story, right? Like I just learned there was this whole rivalry between John Lennon and Todd Rundgren, and that Mark David Chapman was obsessed with Todd Rundgren, and that Mark David Chapman murdered John Lennon, not just because Mark David Chapman was a sick fuck, but because Mark David Chapman thought that John Lennon was phony. Right, and if you, he was obsessed with Catcher in the Rye, and and this was sort of his Lennon was his avatar for bullshit, and he had to take him out. And if you look honestly at John Lennon's behavior in the '70s, he can be perceived as being full of shit. And that doesn't take away from the fact that I love John Lennon in the '70s, but not exactly Dad of the Year, despite Beautiful Boy. You know what I mean? Like, so I kind of want to get into it in that way and see what that story is. Well, it's interesting, you know, and and. Going back to TV, um, you know, I've been watching the assassination of Gianni Versace, yeah. um, and you know, when you think about when I when I first heard that that was announced and that was going to be uh, this year's American Crime Story, uh, my first thought was the the victim and the perpetrator of the crime really didn't know each other. Mm. So where do you go with that story? And what they do is they tell the story backward mm-hmm. and sort of figure out where the you know literally where the 30-second intersection in their lives was that, you know, that made both of them, that, you know... Culminated in culminated the event. both of the, you know, in the event. So um, some of the other ones I saw and I was less uh, uh, familiar with, um, you know, there's a Beck story coming up. That's, yeah, not... That's two from now. Okay. That story's wild. That story... Um, Beck was affiliated with two sort of the art world's sort of like darlings, this power couple, art, art world couple. Um, Jeremy Blake, who had done the artwork for Sea Change, which is my favorite Beck album, and his girlfriend at the time, uh, Teresa Duncan, was sort of a trailblazing, ahead-of-her-time video game designer um, in the late 90s. And these were like hardcore kids who came, uh, he came out of the DC hardcore scene. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a world that, I'm, that I came up in and I'm familiar with. I didn't, it wasn't in DC, but in Boston. Um, and anyways, they, they were really involved with Beck. He, Beck was going to start her movie for Fox Searchlight. And then the Church of Scientology saw them as being suppressive persons, which is an actual term they used. Which they obviously were. Yeah, well, I mean, anyway, <laughs> yeah. And this is at a time when Beck was pulling away from Scientology. So a sea change happens, and all of a sudden Beck's dad is back in the fold, who's mm-hmm. like a first-call Hollywood composer who's still very involved in Scientology. He does all the string arrangements for that record. And Beck is then sort of, for whatever reason, pulls, a, pulls back from Jeremy and Teresa and is becomes more involved with the church and then he claims he doesn't really know them even though jeremy had done the art for his album he backs out of the project with Teresa, and they claimed they were being harassed by scientology to the point where they move out of la back to new york and eventually they end up killing themselves and it became this thing known as the golden suicides 
I don't think Beck had. I don't think Beck really intimidated them or did anything other than just kind of pull away. But that affiliation with the church. But it's a stronger away. involvement, really, than a, you know Carl Wilson and the Manson family. You 100%. Know, I mean, there's yeah. there's real fingerprints on on these things. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, what are you going to stick with murder and death for the most part, or is it going to be? Will it be all over the? It'll be all over the place. It'll be. It'll be crimes, uh, the, the the more intense, uh, <laughs> sort of the, uh, those are the ones I like. I really like writing the black metal one because it's so crazy. Um, it's just so bananas. So the, I kind of want to stay there. And there's, there's a lot of it out there, man. I'm staying away from the kids stuff. There's too much of that. Yeah. It just bums me out when I read it. And that's sort of one of my rules that I have. And it's endless, too. You can just keep going with it forever. Well, with Norwegian black metal and, and you know, their poser, uh, um, peers, the uh, death metal crowd. Um, we, you know, you you have a, a group that's sort of where this sort of mayhem seems at home. Mm-hmm. The ones that are always strange to me, and I remember happening upon a book on vacation one time, where it was the sort of the arrest records of, of a lot of um, mu- it was all musicians, but it was like the forty you know, weirdest crimes that were committed by musicians. Some of them were a lot more nefarious than others, but a lot of them tended to uh, involve that sort of Laurel Canyon, you know, feel good, do good, you know, uh, raise a lot of money for Walden Pond um, (laughs) kind of thing. (laughs) And, and, you know, I always think it's a strange, you know, I mean, John Denver was a notoriously douchey guy, you know? So to me, it's always interesting when it's people who you don't expect or who have this public persona. Uh, Have you stumbled across much of that stuff or? I really haven't. Um, There's, that's 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 totally interesting though. I think now I'm going to look into that. I mean, Sinatra might be the closest one. Mm-hmm. I mean, Sinatra was a maniac in a million different ways, but at his heart, I think he was a he was a good guy, despite all the bad shit. I think he he did a lot of good. Um, so that's that's one of them maybe, but not quite the John Denver lane. Yeah. Well, so walk us through how does each how does each one of these get made? Now that you've narrowed it down to like a two week thing, is it you you settle on a subject and then you just hit the books do you are you doing yeah, interviews or no I mean some of the stuff um, I've actually been connected with people to interview since this has come out like someone put me in touch with Phil Kaufman to do the Grant Parsons story so oh, I'm, cool. I'm going to talk to him at some point um, but mainly it's just it's researching online I try to only stick to real journalism to use as my research I'm not a journalist I'm not pretending to be one I'm sort of like arc. I'm sort of pulling all this info an archivist yeah exactly and, and a great storyteller oh well, thank you I appreciate that but it's all from existing pieces that are out there but I'm not going with like I'm not just like I mean some true crime shows just sit there and read from Wikipedia pages right. and that's not what I'm doing um, I'm trying to steer from innuendo um, if the Jerry Lee Lewis thing if he really had a beef with it he probably would have went after Rolling Stone who wrote that article mm-hmm. that I used as my primary source so I do this research and then when I'm in it I'm kind of figuring out What's the angle I'm going to take while I'm telling the story? So every story I tell has sort of like a sub thread to it. Um, you know, like like the the Sid Vicious thing was obviously about love kills and a, a mercy kill, and um, you know, like I'm trying to think of it. Like the James Brown I want the James Brown one I wrote is that like you know 
all work and no play makes James a dull boy type thing. Like when he was left alone in the eighties, he really went fucking crazy. <laughs> when the work started to dry up. Yeah, that's know? what it seems. I yeah. mean, even with Jerry Lee, I mean, it was you know that was a bit of a career nadir. The sort of early mid eighties. He was he was on the ascent again though. He yeah. had all those seven those country hits in the seventies. Right. Kind of like killer country. And yeah. I mean, I actually saw him wow. in the eighties, which was uh, and it was as advertised. He was phenomenal live. I mean, that energy. Was was remarkable, but yeah. you know, um, Sid Vicious on the other hand, not a particularly gifted performer, right? Right. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, somebody who's grown in myth, you know, so much since uh, you know since uh, he started, and then you know, following his death, I mean, it certainly um, would be. You know, I wonder what kind of an afterthought he might be should he have lived right. and continued to sort of uh, betray the fact that he wasn't exactly right. um, a talented guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he was, I feel like he was, some people are just talented, some musicians are talented not with music, but with being stars. You know, like that solo stuff he did is, I think it's fucking great, man. I yeah. mean, that, like, maybe he would have pursued that. But with that, that story, that's been told a million times. I never thought I was going to do that story until I started looking into it. And I was like, oh, his mom, his mom was involved. Like, mm-hmm. What's that all about? You know, like, let's figure that piece out. That, there's something there, right? So to answer your question, I do the research. I dig in. I write it for a week. I record it. It takes me a couple hours to voice it. And then I score it. And that usually takes me about a week. Well, that's one of the things I wanted to touch on, too, because I think this is a, a, a really unique and kind of ingenious uh, device you uh, came up with, which is not, um, not being certain what, um, you know, what sort of exposure you'd have if you used um, original music, if you mm-hmm. used music um, from the artists, you, um, you play these sort of innocuous musical pieces and you say, the reason I'm playing this music right now is because I haven't gone into getting the rights for this, which was actually the number one song mm-hmm. when this crime happened. Right. Tell us how you came up with that idea and who fought you on it. Well, I had this... I knew I wanted to do the music myself. In a perfect world, yeah, I'd love to have Jerry Lee Lewis's music in there and Beck's music in there, but these stories aren't favorable to Jerry Lee Lewis and Beck. So the, the chances that I can actually get them cleared, could I afford the licensing for them, is slim and none. So I thought, well, how do I fuck with that and be subversive? And I had bought, um, I bought a Mellotron, and they have these sort of preset loops in them that are fucking quirky and they sound weird. And they're basically meant to for non musicians to just like hit a key, the loop plays, and this is a thing in like the '60s where you'd have a cocktail party, mm-hmm. and you'd like hit the, you'd play the thing, you'd hold your Manhattan in your hand and you lead your drunk friends in a song. Yeah, you know? Cosmic Jazz. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, but they sound weird and bizarre and I thought, well, this would be a cool way to intro this and if I juxtapose how this isn't great music up against the great music of the people I'm talking about, that's a way into the story and that's sort of how that came about. And then I do all the other scoring, my, all the sound effects and right. design myself. And that's really good stuff but the uh, I do think this, you know, this idea, it's very arresting. Yeah. And it, it, you know, it's something that anybody who listens to the podcast is going to walk away going, "Well, that was a really clever way around that hurdle." Yeah, I think in punk rock, you come from this like that's where I come from, and there's you're just constantly as a kid in that scene trying to figure out how do I make something out of what I don't have? How do I make my limitations work? Well, I can't play in a club. Well, I'm going to go rent out a VFW hall and I'm going to do a show there. 
and I'm going to be the promoter, and I'm going to get all the money, and I'm going to get my friends' bands to play, and I'm going to pay them really well. You know what I mean? It's like that sort of mentality. I remember Chuck D saying in a, in a um, hip-hop documentary I watched once, which was a, it was a great uh, notion that I had never considered before, which is that when schools cut music programs... There was no instruments to be had, so you played the record player. <laughs> That's great. Which is, you know, really what you know right. came of hip hop. There must be some great stories in hip hop, I imagine. Are you being inundated by listeners with ideas? Or yeah, I love it. I mean, it's it's great. I mean, I need it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I got onto someone on Twitter, hit me up with this idea, the the Pete Doherty story, which is wild, which yeah. I'm gonna do. And I'm actually friends with Anthony, who replaced him in the Libertines. But he was Pete was at a store at a party one night, and some dude they got in an argument, and then the next thing you knew, the dude fell off the balcony and died. And Pete's seen on CCTV camera like running out of it. It's like crazy. And like, of course, it's known in the UK, mm-hmm. but here it's like, whoa! How do I, how do I get into that? Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Libertines. The, I, the, you know, there's a few that I, you know, just sort of, it, it, because there's a difference between, you know, the sort of, the school bus mythology that you hear when you're a kid, and you know, are we gonna, you know. I remember distinctly my brother Christian, who's 20 years younger than I am, mm. telling me that the kid from the Wonder Years had grown up to become Marilyn Manson. Um, <laughs> Is you know, true? No, but I mean, there's, <laughs> but there's a, you know, it's a, there's great misinformation. Yeah. And I grew up in the great age of misinformation, in the 70s and 80s, when you couldn't fact check everything at the right. touch of a button. Don't uh, eat pop rocks and coke at the same time. That is true. <laughs> and, but, you know, I mean, Mikey really pioneered that path to the graveyard. Uh, Mikey, who's actually still with us. Um, but there are there are a lot of you know sort of myths. But then, what, how do you break down which are myths and which are actual crimes? Because you know, when I think about something that you know a lot more tragic, like um, Elliot Smith's death, where there's still some uh, there's there's, uh, there's some crime there. Yeah, I mean, well, that okay. Well, then you know, I mean, those are the kinds of things. Like, how what what are the is it a matter of just digging in and finding out? Yeah, I think, well, with Elliot, that's what I want to do. But honestly, I mean, it's it's kind of raw, and there's not a lot of source material out there. But there are people who believe that it was more nefarious than... I mean, look, it's still call, it's still categorized by the L.A. County Sheriff. The death is categorized as unknown, not mm. suicide. Interesting. And there's a reason for that. And now, they're not particularly motivated to solve that crime, right? It's like they're like the cops and the Big Lebowski who find the, the car. They just don't care about some junky musician, which is fine. But I think there's a lot of myths, but that's there's other podcasts who are doing that. I'm more focused on the finer point of the crime, the criminality mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. I mean, I think about, you know, somebody like... Um uh, Richie Edwards' disappearance. That's on the list, too. Is it? Yeah. And as someone just, a listener just, there's a book about it, which I didn't know, because I, I did, I was like, I want to tell this story, but I didn't know, I couldn't find, I couldn't find enough material on it to really do it. But now that there's a book, I think I'm going to try and figure that one out. Yeah. Um, so what is the, uh, what's the great unsolved music crime that, uh, of the, that, you know, I guess. I think that Jim Morrison is the Zodiac Killer. <laughs> if you match up when those deaths happen with the Doors touring schedule, they line up completely. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm, I'm down with it. I mean, I, 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 uh, it, it be, I think it's actually more viable than the Ted Cruz as the Zodiac Killer. Yeah, exactly. Uh, rumor. But, um, you know, what, are you, so you've, you've got season one in the can. Mm-hmm. So you've got 12 episodes coming out. You're growing in popularity. This is fantastic. Do you have a season two? Yeah, I have it slated. I know 
I have I have it slated with log lines. I know what I'm going to be doing for the most part. I've got the 12, 12 of them identified. Um, I'm going to start. I've sort of loosely started researching the Lennon one, but that'll be the first one that I do. And I'll get about six of those in the tank before I launch, and then mm-hmm. I'll do the other six while I'm rolling. In production, yeah, that's, uh, that's going back to the TV thing. That's Is that how that yeah. works? Um, yeah, we used to write the first nine, rest, you know, take a rest, and then, mm. you know, the last three were hard fought because they were all fighting against the production schedule yeah. and things. But, um we we did this we did we've done a couple of sort of like fantasy drafts on brother 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 where yeah. we talk about you know what would the best bill you could ever put together you know or the your your sort of um, fantasy you know uh, lineup in terms mm. of musicians uh, you've you've tipped your hat a little bit about uh, tipped your hand a little bit about the uh, Jim Morrison being the Zodiac killer but uh, <laughs> build your perfect crime I mean really like if you I think that's it man because that's unsolved but I, I, I mean. I don't know. Maybe something around like I was thinking about this today. They just announced Sopranos is going to be a, there's a prequel. Prequel, yeah. And I I actually had this idea. Like this is I was talking to my friend Scott. You get Bill Janovitz on. Yes, yeah. this is, I'm really tight with his younger brother Scott. He's one of my best friends. And we're, I was like, let's write a prequel to the Sopranos, and it'll be about Junior Soprano whacking Bobby Kennedy because that's like that's threaded throughout in the in the film where it's like it's uh it's just sort of like. He gets rousted and he answers the door. He's like, "What? Ambassador Hotel, 1968." You know what I mean? Like, he just there's a couple episodes like that where he just drops that, and I've watched them like 18 times so I can figure it out. But I think, yeah, maybe something like you know Woody Harrelson's dad on the grassy knoll. Like, who were the guys who were involved? Is there some like wayward musician that you could slot into one of those like assassin squads, yeah. like JFK or something? I mean, certainly there have been some. Uh, you know, I mean, just in in the real. You know, I mean. I, we were joking when Charles Manson died, as you do when someone is <laughs> horrible as Charles Manson died. But, you know, what would be the, the, you know, what would be the, when they write obituaries, we were talking about the niceties that come out about people, you know, mm. you know, how misunderstood Richard Nixon was or something, you know, right. in the obituary, we were saying, uh, you know, Charles Manson, songwriter, singer, songwriter, family man. Um, <laughs> But, uh, you know, there, there are a lot of, of, you know, I mean, it's not, it's not a uh, coincidence that even creative people can be a little bit loony. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, the wall of sound himself. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's, he's on the list. Phil Spector, I just don't, you know, I haven't figured out, like, how do I tell it in a way that it hasn't been told mm-hmm. before? Uh, I want to figure out, like, what's in the past, you know? I think there's something with being crazy to begin with having a fucked up childhood, but then just your whole adult life, you're a success. Like, what does that do to you? And the, and the sort of uh, enablement, you know, the enabling culture of, sure. of stardom, and, and particularly in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's a very, very... Um, there's a lot of bad behavior that gets overlooked out mm-hmm. there. You're going to have been no short supply of, of, of yeah. great stories going forward, to right. be sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, you know... I, I, what else do you want to? What else can you uh, you know tell us about what's going on with uh, disgrace? You know, again, I marvel at the fact that this came out and within a week was one of the top shows um, in the country. So yeah. congratulations! Thank you. Congratulations! Thanks. Also, as uh, thank God this isn't a, a video uh, podcast. As I'm coming off surgery yesterday, and and Jake had a had a child four days ago yeah, yeah. so uh, we're both sort of <laughs> making it happen yeah. <laughs> you're this playing is, hurt though dude this uh, is willing <laughs> uh, willing things to uh, 
to exist. But um, yeah, I think that you know we'll wrap it up with that. But um, just congratulations, and nice, you're man. doing Thank a you. phenomenal job. You as well. I love the podcast. I love the concept. Uh, your brothers are great. I mean, it's keep doing it, man. It's thanks so much. Cool. Yeah, thanks very for having cool. me. Very cool. All right, bud. I'm Wyndham Lewis. On behalf of my brothers, Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis, thank you very much for listening to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Many thanks also to our heroic producer, Damian Kendall, and to Simon Doom for our epic intro music. Learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.